So today, uh, we're going to continue our rescue series, and um, we're going to talk about a man in the scripture named Philip. Now, the account of Philip in the Bible is fairly brief. Um, He occupies one entire chapter in Acts 8, and then he has a few other small cameo appearances here and there, Uh, but ultimately, his main uh, big part of his story is in Acts 8. But Philip tells a really big story in a small amount of space. And I believe that he made the scripture, he, he made the cut into the scripture because big faith is a big deal to Jesus. Big faith is a big deal to Jesus. And Philip was a man of big faith. And he is an example to us of courageous testimony. Um, God highlighted this man's life in the scripture because he can be an example to each of us. And so what we're going to do today is just take a brief uh, look into his life and see the things that God would want to teach us from it. He was an effective personal worker for the Lord. He was a powerful communicator of the truth of Jesus. And it just got me thinking as I was studying for this particular message, what part of my life would Jesus want to highlight if he were going to? If you were going to get one chapter in the whole, the whole scripture and God had to take out one thing in your life that he would highlight, what would it be? What would be the thing, the story that he would want to tell for generations to come? What do I want Jesus to say about me when I stand before him? I want my story to count big. I I want my story to be worthy that if there were ever a time that he would rewrite some scriptures or tell some more things, that 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 would be part of it. I want to have big faith, and I know you do too. I I believe that's why you're here today, is because you want to have big faith and you want your story to count big. And so Philip is first mentioned in Acts 6. Um, as one of the seven people who was chosen to take care of the poor in the church in Jerusalem. And so what had happened was there were uh, a bunch of people that needed things. They needed physical things. They needed emotional support. They needed even financial support. And so they chose seven people um, to go and take care of that poor sect of people. And so Philip was a servant. He was compassionate. He was a lover of people. They, they chose people who, who just loved these people and wanted to help them. And so including this part of Philip's story is really important because though it's brief and you might pass over it while you're reading it, I believe that God is telling us this, that all of our gifts grow out of serving other people. All of our gifts grow out of serving other people. So if you want to be a powerhouse evangelist, go serve some people. If you want to be an effective prophet, then go serve and love some people. If you want to be an incredible teacher, it all must center around caring and loving for people. Because the moment that we begin to not love the people that we're ministering to is the moment the gift becomes completely ineffective. And so you'll recognize this passage, 1 Corinthians 13. Probably every wedding you went to this summer, you're going to hear this passage. And here's what it says. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. If I have faith that can move mountains, but don't have love, I'm nothing. 
If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. So all of our gifts must grow out of serving others. If you want your gifts to grow in your life, then find a place to serve and love people. Find a table to wipe down or a nose to wipe <laughs> or a place that doesn't feel very comfortable, but, but man, the church needs me. So I'm going to show up and do that or somebody in my community needs me. And ask God to show you how he sees his people. And that will allow your gifts to grow. That's how God makes our gifts grow. So how do you think that Jesus views people who don't know him? Maybe you're here today and you uh, don't know about this whole Jesus thing, but you came on an invitation of, of someone else. How do you think Jesus feels about you? Maybe this worship experience was a little different than, than you're really kind of used to, and maybe you're, you're feeling a little awkward, and maybe that makes you feel like Jesus thinks you're awkward, or, or Jesus felt that way about you. And sometimes I think we get this misconception of, of how Jesus feels about people that don't know him. Maybe we think that Jesus is annoyed with them, or shaking his finger down at him, or, or frustrated that they would continue to make mistakes. Well, the scripture talks about how Jesus felt about people that didn't know him. In Matthew 9, this was written about Jesus. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. People who don't know how much Jesus loves them literally moved Jesus to tears. It didn't make Jesus uh, exclusive or angry, or judgmental. Jesus literally cried because he loves us so much and he wants so much to be in personal relationship with us that, that he cries when he encountered someone that didn't understand that. He, he doesn't want stuff from us. He doesn't need anything that we can give him. He just wants to be close to us. And, and maybe you've heard this before, but, but I want to tell you again today that that Jesus is crazy about you. On your best day, on your worst day, at every moment in between, Jesus desperately loves you. And you say, how can he do that? I don't deserve that. You're right, you don't. But that's this thing called grace that as human beings, we just can't get our minds wrapped around. And so when we criticize or judge people for making bad choices or not understanding the ways of God, we are not being like Jesus. Jesus was compassionate. He, he would do anything to show somebody how much that he loved them. He wept over his children who didn't know him. He deeply cared for individuals. And his desire for us to understand his great and deep love for us was the very thing that Philip couldn't keep his mouth shut about. Because Philip had big faith in this guy, Jesus that loved people so big. And so the next time we see Philip is in Acts chapter 8. And I want to read to you the first three verses of that. It says, On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. That was a martyr that had, had been stoned to death. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Now, if you'll notice, 
the beginning of Philip's opportunities to share the love of Jesus came out of persecution. Kind of sounds like a sermon some preacher said last week. Okay, you guys missed it because you weren't here. I'm just kidding. So what, what the scripture is saying is that the hard circumstance, the impossible situation created an opportunity for Philip to bear testimony. Last week, if you missed it, we talked about, will you let your struggle tell God's story? Will you let the thing in your life that, that feels like your struggle, that feels like your burden, that feels like your persecution, will you let God use that to tell your story? And so this is exactly what's happening to Philip. Philip went to Samaria and just started telling people about the Messiah. Okay, so I don't know if you missed it, but that last verse, Saul is dragging men and women off the street and putting them in prison if they say anything about Jesus. And Philip's like, see ya, I'm going to go to Samaria and tell these people about it. He's just so full of the love of God, so sold out with the fact that Jesus loves people so much, he can't keep his mouth shut, that he goes to this city, despite the fact that you're getting dragged into prison if you say anything about Jesus, and he starts telling people about it. And the scripture says what happens is that the city just like bursts into great joy. Now, I'm a high eye personality, so in my head it's like confetti, Summer cookouts everywhere, okay, is what's happening in this situation. I mean, the city is just bursting in great joy, and Saul is try trying to chase after these people and drag them into prison. They're probably singing, you know, a beat song on the way to prison because they know the greatness and the joy that, that God is doing. And so what happens is he particularly comes across a man named Simon who was a sorcerer. And when Philip tells Simon the truth, it shakes him. And, and Simon was a, like a magician. Like he, he made people believe things that, that weren't actually true. He did sorcery. And he realizes that even his sorcery is nothing compared to the mightiness and the greatness of who God is. And, and Simon believes in his heart that Jesus is Lord, gets baptized, and starts following Philip wherever he goes. So now Philip has this band of people, and you can imagine probably some others did that too. And they're walking around telling everybody what Jesus did for them. Once you get a glimpse of Christ, your whole world changes and you just want more. Once you experience big faith, everything changes. And Simon wanted to experience more of what Philip had. And so Simon just followed Philip around, hoping to catch just a little more understanding of what Philip was full of. Now, as we kind of went through Philip's story, it's all of these examples that he, you know, he's telling people, he, he's able to share the gospel, and it says all through Samaria, he has all of these experiences and maybe you've had friends like this where you think, man, how did they get a chance all the time to share their faith about others? Why is it that they're always telling me this story, or Philip always has this story, that wherever he goes, he has the chance to share the gospel? Like where I go, people seem kind of rude. <laughs> I can't figure out how he has these opportunities. Maybe he was, um, you know, a, maybe he went to seminary. Maybe he really understood everything, so he wasn't afraid to bring it up. Or maybe he was super duper extroverted, and he just walked into the room and captivated the audience. Or maybe he was one of those crazy guys with a megaphone. You know, that's what we think. Maybe that's how Philip got everyone's attention. But truly, Philip wasn't any of those things. In fact, some theologians believe that Philip was conservative, kind of quiet, 
a man who lived a, a quiet life of just serving other people. But what happened for Philip, he had an opportunity everywhere he went because he was available. That was his secret. Simply because he was available. Simply because he was looking for the setup. He knew that God would give him opportunities, so he kept his eyes open. And he took the appointments that God set up for him. How often do we walk into any situation and our mind is full of the things we're thinking about? Or we're, we have five extra minutes and we think we'll just send a couple emails because we have it right here. You know, we're always occupied in our own life, in our own where we want to go, our agenda. And I believe that what Philip did is he said, God, I'm available Wherever you send me, I'm available, and I will speak about what you've done for me if you give me an opportunity. And then God would set him up to have these significant conversations. And these moments of truth, Philip was able to change, to, what he said was able to change things. It was able to change people, to, to change communities, to change cities, to change history. The, the very conversations that Philip had quite literally changed history. It allowed more people to understand the gospel, which then spread the gospel uh, uh, throughout centuries. Big faith looks for the setup. Big faith watches for where the natural meets the supernatural. Big faith allows us to see significant conversations to turn things into God moments. In verse 26, we find Philip at it again. Here's his story. Here he is. And uh, I put the whole uh, verses 26 through 40 on your yellow handout today if you want to follow along. For the rest of the time, we're just going to actually walk through those um, several verses. So verse 26 says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. How many desert roads do you think there are in Jerusalem? More than one? More than two? <laughs> Probably. So this wasn't a very specific uh, directive. In fact, um, Philip is giving instructions, but with no outcome. So how many of you, I just want to test it, if God said to you, just go south. But you just get in your car and... Okay, you know, just, just move in that general direction. It reminds me of in the Old Testament when God says to Abram, pack up your things and leave. I'll tell you on the way. <laughs> we so often want um, every step listed out. I was just talking to Kat about this yesterday at the summer cookout. We want options A, B, C. Um, if that doesn't work out, could I have the D and the E options so I could throw that in there uh, just in case? Can I have my life agenda mailed to me three weeks prior, please? Because I do a lot better with knowing uh, when disaster's going to strike. <laughs> you know, I can prepare myself for that. We want that. We, we want God to, to kind of spell it all out so that we have, um, we, we have the plan. But i in my experience and what I believe that this scripture is saying to me, to us, and you're not going to like it. Are you ready? Spiritual guidance comes one step at a time. You have to take the first step to take the next one. Now, there are reasons for this. The reason is, you've probably heard me say this before, 
You stay very close to the guy with the flashlight when you're in the dark. (laughs) You stay very close to that person who is showing you what you need to do. You can't get too far ahead of God or too far behind God if you're taking one step at a time. I believe that God knows the human uh, flesh so much. He knows our tendency that spiritual guidance comes one step at a time. We tend to over-process, over-worry, over-plan. And God is saying, hey, just go in this direction. Just go south. Start moving, and I will show you the rest when we get there. It takes big faith to do that. But Philip had big faith. And so he listened closely, and he went where God told him, to that desert road, (laughs) the one from Jerusalem to Gaza. And I think it's really interesting how uh, the angel tells Philip, to go on this certain road because have you ever looked back on something and you realized how different an outcome could be if something would have been changed in the slightest? Have you ever thought of that? Like, like if, um, if the bone break was just two centimeters more, you would have to had surgery. Or if, uh, if the trip would have landed just one day later, you, would have been miss- you wouldn't have been home for that specific event, or if you would have left the house just 15 minutes earlier, you could have got there on time. Okay, that's, that's just something I'm learning, but um, I don't really know. <laughs> or if you would have taken the highway instead of the back roads, you would, have, you would have been in the accident. You know what I mean. It's the slightest change. It would have affected the whole story. And so sometimes we, we scoff at, at the little things that God's asking us to do because we don't think they're a very big deal. But the details matter, and he, he sees it all. I read a story once um, about a missionary named David Livingston, and he was about to stop and camp for the night, uh, but God told him to go over on the other side of the stream. It was about 10 feet different. And he said, well, I'm going to st- stay here. And he felt prompted to go to the other side of the stream. And he, he journaled that afterward, in the night, there were some natives that came and were looking for um, intruders, and they had poison arrows, and, and he could hear them. But because he was on the other side of the stream, he was able to hide out. And, and God saved him from certain death in that moment because the details matter to God. And so when he tells you to do something, even if it feels small, do it. Just do it. Because you may not see the supernatural consequences of what God is telling you to do, but when you do that, you take one step, he gives you the next and the next and the next. Often, if we hear God's voice in the small things and obey his commands, we find that we're being led to great things. And that's what happened with Philip. Let's keep reading. So he starts out to the road, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. Now, the gold part of this story is in three words. On his way. Say that to the person next to you. On his way. I'm watching you, Joel. All right. On his way. (laughs) He was heading to where God told him to go. So he wasn't there yet. I mean, looking back, we can see that the reason God sent him on the road was to meet the the Ethiopian, but he didn't know that. Philip was on his way to wherever God was sending him. Philip was just passing through. Philip hadn't arrived at whatever intended destination God had for him, yet Philip saw a divine moment. Philip saw an invitation. Philip saw 
an interruption maybe. And Philip had been preaching to a whole multitude of people in Samaria. He had crowds of people. But when he was walking on this road, he stopped for one man. I love that about Philip. That even one conversation didn't feel too small for him. That even though he had just left Samaria preaching to crowds of people and Simon the sorcerer and important people in that town, he stopped and saw one person that could understand the love of Christ. And that was just as important to him. And I believe he learned that from Jesus. Because Jesus modeled the same thing when he was on earth. Jesus spoke to the multitudes, but he also spoke to the individuals. He gathered his disciples one by one. He, he, he spent largely the portion of his years with just 12 people because one mattered to God. One still matters to God. You matter to God. I love what the Lord told us through that word this morning. You, you matter. You're not just a face in the crowd. You're not just part of a group of people that that are singing or hearing God's word today. You matter to God. You are on his mind. And I believe Philip knew that one person mattered to God. and, and, And so he took this opportunity to talk to the Ethiopian. And the spirit, verse 29, told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. Yet another vague direction, God. I'm sure Philip was saying, this is awkward and I appear to be a little bit of a stalker, but I will stand by the chariot until you tell me what to do. And Philip approaches the chariot. And at that very moment, verse 30 says, Philip ran up to the chariot, heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet, and he had the perfect insertion moment. Do you understand what you are reading? How can I, the Ethiopian said, unless someone explains it to me? I wish someone was here to explain it to me. So he invited Philip to come and sit with him. What a setup. Philip didn't even have to convince him. Philip didn't have to bait himself into the eye of donuts. You know, he's going to get in there. Philip didn't have to do anything manipulative. All Philip had to do was stand where God told him to stand, and the Ethiopian eunuch said, come in and tell me what you know, because what you know is going to help me understand. And the timing of the Holy Spirit is perfect. And at that very moment, Philip, no doubt wondering what he would do or what he would say, says this is the perfect opportunity. And he was reading this specific reference to Jesus when he died on the cross. So let's read it. Uh, It's in Acts 8.32, but it's also originally in Isaiah 53.7-8. And it says this. It's talking about Jesus. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And it was perfect timing. It was a divine appointment. And God was setting this up long before Philip ever came to the road. And God wants us to remember that if we do our part, he will do his. If we do our part, he will do his. He will set us up. He will create an opportunity. He will prepare hearts. But we have to open our mouths and share our story. We have to show up and not quit. We have to let God use us even when we're awkward and clunky and stumbling and stuttering and don't know exactly what to say. 
He will use it. He will do our part if we're available. He will do his part if we do our part if we're available. And you know, Philip knew the scripture. Um, Philip was prepared to give an answer to what the Ethiopian was asking. You probably have heard this verse before, 2 Timothy 4.2, and it doesn't just apply to people like me who are in ministry every day, but it says, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. And so the key to help people understanding faith is to know it yourself. Which is the reason why you come here, I hope. The reason why you come is so that you can load your spiritual backpack with knowledge and scripture. But the thing that you have to be careful of is you can't just leave it there. You have to give it away. You have to have moments where you share the things that you've been learning, the things that you understand, the things that God is doing inside of you. You have to take those things and you have to share it. You have to learn the scriptures, not so you can be really proud of yourself or look very smart, or so your grandpa gives you $2. You have to do it. You have to learn and know the scripture so that you can share it with other people. That is the whole point. So if we're learning scripture, but we're never sharing it with others, then we're losing out on the purpose of all of this learning and all of this knowledge and all of this understanding. I love how Philip focuses on the main thing. Philip doesn't get caught up in the differences between him and the Ethiopian. There was lots of differences, culturally, um, probably educational. He, uh, Philip wasn't a very um, rich man, and the Ethiopian, it said, was in charge of all of the treasury. There were a lot of differences. He didn't get caught up with that. Philip didn't try to debate whether the NIV or the KJ version, KJV is more accurate, you know, or the word is the Greek and the English. He didn't do that. Philip didn't ask the Ethiopian if he thought Trump was a good decision, okay? He, he, he did not bring up hot, controversial topics and then try to get the person to believe how he did and then, well, you can't really believe this if you're not this. He didn't do any of that. He focused on exactly what Jesus wants us to focus on. The main thing, the main thing is that Christ died on a cross for you and for me. He promised to return again. And he explained to the Ethiopian that the sacrifice Jesus made on the cross for his people was that because we are sinners and he traded places with us. He took our place. He got all the shame and the guilt that we deserve and that we incur. And we got all the freedom and the grace that he gives us. That, that simple but powerful truth, the thing that you need to understand and believe, the thing that gets you eternal life, the thing that helps you have a relationship with Jesus, that is what he focused on, the absolutes, the most important part of faith, that Jesus came to earth to save us, that he died on a cross in our place, and he rose again on the third day, and because of this, we can spend eternity in heaven with him if we repent and believe. That is what the scripture was that the Ethiopian was reading. And that is what Philip came to say. So let's see what happens. Uh, verse 34. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of scripture, told him the good news about Jesus. And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the Ethiopian said, Look, 
here's some water. Who can stand in the way of me being baptized? And Philip said, nobody, stop the chariot. And they jumped out, and both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water, and Philip baptized him right there. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but the eunuch went away rejoicing. And the Ethiopian man, after he had this experience, uh, scholars can trace back that he went back to his country. He went back to his land. He told everyone he could. And the Ethiopian Christian church was birthed out of this experience. And Philip could never have known that opportunity if he hadn't spoken with that man. Because it wasn't just about one person. To Philip, it was somebody on the way that I can stop and talk to. To God, it was the plan to tell a whole country about him. And because of Philip's obedience, God created this opportunity with thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people on his mind. And I believe that God will use you like that too. God will use you like that too if you're available. That you don't have to be a, a scholar or a, a seminary grad. You don't, you don't have to know everything. You don't even have to uh, always have your shoes polished, polished and your hair combed nice. All you have to do is be available to what God is having, wanting to do. Be willing. And he sees further down the road than we ever can. And big faith is a big deal to God. Verse 40, uh, Philip, it says, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. I've been practicing that word. Philip doesn't stop, it says. He meets the Ethiopian. The Ethiopian gets baptized. He goes away. Philip doesn't even know who he was. Okay, well, that was good. He keeps going. It says he goes around preaching the good news of Jesus, and apparently he settles down at some point, perhaps gets married, raises a family. But he never stops preaching Christ, even after he made his permanent home. And in fact, 20 years after the record in Acts 8, we read of Philip. This is his last cameo appearance. He's still persevering. He's still serving Christ. It says, And on the next day we departed, and we came to Caesarea, and entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and we stayed with him. And now this man had four virgin daughters who were prophetesses. And so then he raised his family to share the gospel and the word and what God's word is. We are God's mouthpiece. We're his spokespeople. We're God's press secretary. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20, it says we are Christ's ambassadors for the message of reconciliation. And he has entrusted us to speak, to convey, to demonstrate his love and his heart and his will. And, and we are the way that he chose to reach people who don't know him. There is no plan B. Just say to yourself, I am plan A. Yikes. <laughs> You are plan A. That is who God designed. Wherever you go, whoever you meet, people in your family, people in your workplace, people in this community, God is asking us to spread the gospel. We are it. We're the plan. And we cannot drop the ball if this is what Jesus is asking us to do. The rescue mission absolutely requires our time and our attention and our focus and our seriousness. And I'll end with this scripture. It's Hebrews 12.1. 
says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So picture in your mind the earth surrounded by grandstands of saints and angels all cheering us on. All just get, they're just, when you're about to share your faith and your stomach's in knots and you feel like this is a little bit awkward that I'm going to say this in front of this person, they're just, oh, they're, they're, they're leaning in. They're watching you like the best football game you've ever seen. And they're cheering you on. Yo, you can do this, you can do this. And you know why they're doing that? Because they see the other side of heaven and they see how our faith is affecting heaven. And they know that it's true. And the people that have died and gone before us know that because of the way that, that we invested in the, in the, in the, in the uh, land, in the spiritual atmosphere, that things are changing. And we can't see that right now, but from heaven they can. And everyone rejoices when one who is spiritually lost is found. And so if you're, maybe you're here for the first time, maybe you're, you're visiting today, or maybe um, Eerie first isn't new to you, but this whole Jesus thing is kind of new to you. Maybe you're a little bit, you know, skeptical, on the fence, not sure about everything there is to understand. I know one thing for sure, and God has made it so clear to us today, it's the thing I don't want you to miss. That God has brought you here on this day for a specific divine moment to tell you how much he loves you. We don't want anything from you. We, we, we don't want you to feel like we, we want something from you as a church. We just want to show you the love that God has shown us. Because that's what Jesus asked us to do. And because it's overflowing so much in our hearts, we can't help but do it. And so if you're here and, and maybe through worship today or the message, or even right now at this moment, you feel something inside of you. Sometimes it, it, it manifests itself as a, like something almost burning inside of you. Like you, you don't know exactly what that is. You feel a little strange, but you know it's something that's sort of supernatural, that's bigger than you, that's beckoning you to understand more about who God is and the person that, that, that made you and created you. Like Darlene read, the person that's your dad, the, the father that created you. Maybe that's happening inside of you even at this moment. And, and if you decide to believe in Jesus Christ for the very first time today, we just want to celebrate with you because it is the most important decision you'll ever make. And we want to help you with some resources because we'll be honest, it's hard to figure out sometimes. Some of the things that, that are in the scripture, we need a little help translating, we need a little help understanding, but that doesn't make God any less reputable or any less real. It just means that it takes us a little bit of time to ask questions. But our church in its entirety exists to help you take your spiritual next step. That's why we're here. That's why we come every week. That's why we turn the lights on. And so I just want to encourage you today that there's a little card attached to your bulletin. If you would just write your name on there and then check, you want to know more about a relationship with Jesus. And at the end, uh, the ushers are going to be standing at the door. You can just drop it in. You don't even have to talk to anybody. All right, just drop it in. We want to just connect with you and help you in any way we can. If you don't have a bulletin, just scribble your name on a piece of paper or gum wrapper. We'll take anything. Sorry, just put it in there. We, we just want to help you because we understand 
that it has changed who we are. It has changed how we face difficulties. It has changed how we walk through life. And we can't stay quiet about it anymore. So let's pray together. God, I thank you that you have been so clear to us through your word and through worship and through the, uh, the, the prophetic uh, moment here today that you see us. God, and you love us and we're on your radar and you're working on our behalf. And so, Father God, we pray for those this morning that have never accepted a relationship with you, have never just said they're sorry and repented and, and believed. And we pray right now for them, God, that they could feel the, the pull of you. Lord, that they could feel the love of you, God, that you died on a cross for us, Lord, that you, you sacrificed your own son so that we could get to heaven. Lord, I thank you for that sacrifice, and I pray, Lord, that you would make that abundantly clear to everyone in this room, no matter what level of faith they are. And Lord, I thank you in advance for those that made that decision today. God, I celebrate Lord, we celebrate together because we know that it is the most important decision you can make on this side of heaven. So, Father, we stand before you today. We want nothing less and nothing more than what you have for us. God, create divine appointments in our life this week. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.